So we're really in an interesting place. I think personally, there's going to be tremendous opportunity in 2023 because I think we've already turned the corner, but it's going to take a little while for people to catch up in their head and expectations and all that. Who's it said that when others are fearful, be greedy. And when others are greedy, be fearful. I think it was Warren Buffett. That's when big money's made. I think now's a great opportunity actually to be looking for opportunities. I am seeing this. I'm seeing older people, like older business owners in the silver wave are deciding to sell their business. And we've got some acquisitions going on right now because they're like, ah, I've been through recessions. I've done it. I made a bunch of money. I think I'm good. I want to punch out, take my bag and run. And so the younger people that are looking for opportunity have great opportunities to buy these businesses and the real estate that's with it and that sort of thing right now. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. Welcome back to Ice Cream with Investors. I'm your host, Matt Four, And on today's show, we have Paul Neal. Paul is the founder of Vantage Point Capital, a company that really helps entrepreneurs and real estate investors find different lending sources out there. I was super excited to have Paul on the show because he really is a key part of our team as we enter into the 2023 markets with rates going up higher every single time the Fed meets with liquidity drying out of the system. The most important person you can have on your real estate team right now is a good lender and a good broker. So Paul's going to walk us through not only what he does in his business, but also what he's seeing the environment at today and how we can better prepare ourselves for the choppy market of 2023 coming up. All right, Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, Matt, I'm excited to be here, man. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. We like to start with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? (laughs) Oh my gosh, they used to call it Charlie Brown back in the day, but it's chocolate with big chunks of peanut butter in it. Used to get it at Hyde's Ice Cream Store is my favorite. Yum. Is Hyde's in the Chesapeake, Virginia area there? Yeah. Hyde's was in Chesapeake, Virginia Beach. It was a little local chain. And man, I just remember that chocolate melting and dripping and running down my hand. I was an eight-year-old boy. I loved it. And I still do. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Now with the peanut butter chunks, do you have to have toppings on it or is it just straight peanut butter and chocolate? No, man. But the bigger the chunks of peanut butter, the better it is. I love it. Yeah. Tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? Okay. The scoop is I'm in commercial lending. So I help business owners, entrepreneurs, and real estate investors fund their growth and their dreams, essentially. So if you're looking to grow your portfolio, your real estate portfolio, grow your business, maybe acquire a business, other types of commercial real estate, I'm your guy. We basically partner up with you. We understand your goals, short, medium, and long-term, your challenges. And we have access to 100 plus investors, venture capital, family funds, lots of sources of capital, our own money that can provide solutions that generally your local bank can't. And a lot of times the banks are saying no, we're saying yes. And even when they say yes, sometimes we can say yes, but maybe something better. Yep. We were joking beforehand with liquidity drying up out of the system very rapidly right now. You are a great person to know. And we're going to dig into kind of how you see the markets and what you're looking for as a lender. But before we get there, you've had a pretty tremendous entrepreneurial journey in itself. Would you mind taking us through your story? Take us back to your first dropping out of school and starting your first business there? 
Yeah, I know that we talked beforehand that you're a, a big Hokie fan. So went to Virginia Tech and my wife and I actually went there together and no plug for Virginia Tech. But anyway, my daughter's there too. It's a great school. Yeah, I was studying engineering. And the best thing about it was during the process, I was able to go into the co-op program where they would basically, at that point, it was quarter, they were on quarter system and then they transitioned to semesters. But they would place you at a company and you'd work in the role, in my case, engineering. And so I got to learn what that was all about and went through that experience. It was a great experience and it was doing well and I was good at math and science, but I started to figure out that it really wasn't my cup of tea. I didn't want to do 40 years in this deal. So I remember sitting in a room one time and the company I worked for was developing these network analyzers when the internet was just starting to come onto the scene before most people knew about it. And they would sell these boxes to companies that were like $70,000, $80,000 custom boxes, just measure the traffic on the internet. Well, we sat in a room that was no bigger than maybe six by eight with no windows, very stuffy, fluorescent lights, a little buzz in the background. And there must've been eight of us in there. And I was just listening, but they were arguing for, it must've been two hours on what color little rubber booties needed to go on this $80,000 box. And I'm like, man, is there a bullet anywhere? Does only have a gun? And I'm like, I can't, if this is what this job is going to be, like, I can't do it. So it was that point I'd always had a desire to separate my time from my money and have pursue bigger dreams and things like that. And I realized Although that was a great career and it still is a great career for a lot of people, it just wasn't for me. And so I got connected up with some people, started a business when I was in school and that led to six, seven businesses later. Here I am today. Awesome. So a lot of different business journeys out there. And I'm smiling when you say internet traffic, because I'm in technology today. So the fact that one of those boxes would cost $80,000 when really it's a piece of software now that you can probably buy for 500 is just insane. <laughs> but yeah. six or seven businesses later, I'm dying to know, what did you learn through the journey? The ups, the downs, what did you learn through the process? A little bit of self-reliance, a lot of faith, realizing that you're not... You can write a plan out. You can do the best laid plans are good until the shots start getting fired. Right. And then it's okay. We throw the plan out and we just move. And so I learned really that you have to take action. Nothing happens until you take action. We all have great plans and ideas and thoughts and so forth. And I even sometimes get baked that analysis of paralysis, right? That I'm like, oh, I should do this. I should do this. And then things get in the way. But the reality is you can't steer a parked car. And so by moving forward and making mistakes along the way, I was able to fail forward and overcome some fears. I think my biggest fear was of rejection and failure. And I think that's what a lot of people's fears that holds them back. And the reality is, as long as you want to get back up and move forward, it all works out. Even with some colossal failures, you can still recover from that. <laughs> yeah. How do you encourage people to get moving then? Because the, you can't steer a parked car is probably one of the best sayings I've ever heard. So thank you for that one. But I have this idea that most people want to be perfect in the process and perfect at the end state when they don't realize that perfect is not beautiful. You have to learn along the way. That's the only time when you'll learn your frameworks, your voice, what you're really doing, what success is and things like that. So I try to encourage people to find that first little step that they can take just to start pushing the snowball down the mountain and let it become an avalanche. But how do you get people to make that hurdle? That's uh, probably the million dollar question, right? It's motivation. A lot of things hold people back. So at some point, being in the technology as you are and the engineering trade that I come from, we're very analytical. And it seems like for the longest time, I would fight how to be, I have to do things perfectly. And as I learned the Pareto principle, the 80-20 principle many years ago, it's, hey, 
you just got to move forward and realize, hey, what are the small things you can do? And maybe that's the advice is what's the one or two small things you can do that will give you the biggest return right now? Don't worry about everything else. I think people extrapolate and try to figure out all of the hows along the way before they even start taking action, just not realizing that, hey, if you could just do one thing and then the next thing, and then the next thing that your vision opens up in the opportunity, someone smarter than me came up with this saying, so I get no credit, but exposure brings opportunity, right? So if you expose yourself into the field of battle, then now opportunity, and it might come out of left field. I'll tell you a story. So I had a meeting like three months ago with a group here at the beach and really successful business people. And they had developed a product. This is a a sideline business for them, but it was a really interesting product that they were looking to generate about $5 million of capital for. They had invested each about $100,000 and they had a beta version. They told me, they said, man, we thought this beta version was going to crash the boards. We thought this was going to be awesome. So they're 12 months into this thing. They put, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of dollars in it. But what they told me was what we found out was that we got a serendipity because it was a, I can't say what it is for legal reasons, but there was a secondary or or alternative use to their product that they hadn't considered that someone brought up and they're like, oh my gosh, the light bulb went off. And then now they've got tremendous interest across the board. But before what they thought was the answer wasn't the answer. But if they didn't do that and pursue that piece, they would have never found the serendipity, which is really could be a big, huge winner for them. I'm glad you brought that up because I think for the Democratic Convention in 2008, and what they realized was there were no hotel rooms. So they're like, why don't we just try to get people to stay at people's couches and all that sort of stuff? Basically funded Airbnb by selling Obama's, I think it was called at the time. <laughs> and now look at it. It's this multi-billion dollar organization, the largest hotel organization in the world that doesn't own a hotel. So this idea of getting going and you'll find different use cases and gaining exposure will help you grow your network is one of the biggest things you can do for sure. That's an amazing story. I hadn't heard that. And it's funny you mentioned that because I'm sure you have a lot of people that you know that are doing that too, buying these Airbnbs. Their their short-term rentals are just going ballistic. The cash flow numbers of those are just fantastic if they're in the right place and they're managed properly. The interesting thing is with Airbnb, not only was it a serendipity for them, it's been a serendipity for how many other people now that can do a short-term rental that maybe they don't want to do a long-term rental or they want to diversify their portfolio a little bit. That's Mm -hmm. created tremendous opportunity for countless thousands of people. So I want to get into what you do today because your timing on the show is perfectly timed because we're going through a very choppy environment right now, specifically with liquidity coming out of the system. So at Vantage Point Commercial Capital, you deal with commercial organizations dealing in real estate and also on businesses. So I want to separate that conversation. But first of all, I don't want to pitch your company for you. What is it that you're looking to achieve at your company today? Our whole goal is to help entrepreneurs, business owners, and real estate investors win. And today in business, if you're trying to grow, you're trying to build a business or build a portfolio, it takes cash to do that, right? It takes capital, it takes money. And these people, these entrepreneurs and real estate investors are entrepreneurs. If that's all you do, you're still an entrepreneur. If that's something you do on the side, hey, you're an entrepreneur, you're building a business, right? So entrepreneurs, to be successful, I think the biggest challenge that business owners and entrepreneurs have is distraction, right? So we can chase a lot of different bouncy balls off the track. And so you need to stay focused in your lane. And that is building your business or building your portfolio or analyzing properties or whatever. You don't have the time to try to analyze the capital markets and understand what's going on. If we're in a very static environment, nothing is changing. And there are periods of time where we went through that years ago, but 
We're not there now. This last year, I think, has proven to everybody that it's amazing to me how the 10-year treasury went from less than 1% to up to 4.5% less than a year. But by the way, today it's down another 50 basis points based on the positive inflation news. And that's going to continue, by the way, for the next six months. So finally, some good news there. But so yeah, we help them win by helping them achieve their goals, providing the proper funding that they need. And funding commercial, it's not like residential in a sense where I'm going to go get a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. Here's my rate and whatever. Commercial is completely different. You have recourse, you have non-recourse, you have guarantees, you have covenants or no covenants. There's just a lot of sort of minefield issues. You have terms where you have a balloon payment. So it helps to have someone that can educate on the option. So what we do is we get to know what someone, their business, what they're trying to accomplish, the specific need. Then we go into the market and we find the best options that we think are available for a fit. And then we educate them and say, hey, here's three, four options that would solve your problem. Here's the pluses and minuses of each one. And if you should you choose to pursue funding, here's some options. And we don't charge for that. So we only make money if a deal closes and funds. So we're putting all of our investment up front to try to do the best possible job we can for that particular business owner, real estate investor. Because here's the thing, Matt, we want the second deal. We want the third deal. We're in this thing for the long haul. And it's about relationships. And again, things change. Your business can change. Your local market can change. The lending climate changes. All that's a dynamic, a moving target. No one person has the ability to put all that together and be successful. Yeah, it's a dynamic market and commercial real estate specifically is a team sport. And at different times in the cycle, there's going to be more important players on your team. If you're doing a value-add real estate project, then probably your construction manager. But in a time right now where liquidity is just literally being sucked out of the system very quickly, someone like Paul on your team is probably the most important person you can have. Because it used to be if you worked in a small town, you'd go down and to the local bank, establish a relationship. And now all of a sudden, those people have border direct they have to deal with, shareholders they have to deal with. And Paul has many different options that he can go and say, okay, if that bank's not lending on this particular asset, here's 99 other that I can go call. Yeah. And the interesting thing too, even within banks, because we do deal with some banks, very few large banks, most large banks are not your friend. They don't really want to lend you the money. But sometimes like a local bank might have a good opportunity for you, but they're going to require things from you. They might require your deposits. They want that relationship. When you want to take your deposits out of the existing bank, you have the relationships for whatever reason. Maybe you don't want to put all of your eggs in one proverbial basket. You'd like to keep your business cash at a different institution or maybe multiple institutions. And so maybe the answer is another bank out of your market that says, yeah, I'm not really interested in your deposits. I'll do your loan, but I don't, I'm not interested in your deposits. And we get that a lot just from a standpoint, just from a diversification standpoint, particularly when the liquidity is drying up. You're going to see probably in this next year, a lot of like line of credit and think traditional bank lines of credits are going to just get sucked back. We saw that in 08 when I went through that wonderful period of time, <laughs> the Great Recession. I've got friends who sit around a boardroom. I'm part of CEOs. And we talk about our experiences and we've been together for a long time. And it was amazing how many of them had loans called, had lines of credits closed, things like that. And they were making their payments, right? It wasn't like they weren't making their payments. But the bank says, hey, it just doesn't fit in our portfolio anymore. And like you said, Matt, hey, our regulators, our board of directors say, we want to purge this thing. And guess what? you got six months to or three months to find another home for this or it's due in full. Yeah, I think our listeners are probably tired of hearing me say access to cash is probably one of the most important things you can have. And 
I think we've gotten lazy over the past 12 years, assuming that liquidity would always be in the system. Why would I need to set up lines of credit? Why would I need to have a warehouse of cash and different life insurance mm-hmm. policies and different things like that when I could just shove it into the market and get an exceptional return? And I think it was Wells Fargo in 2021 that closed all personal lines of credit. And I think we saw a lot of that in 2008 that is about to rear its ugly head again, that even if you have lines of credit, you have to assume that majority of those will be shut down, frozen, or have some other covenants on it, stipulation on it. Yeah, absolutely. And particularly based on their exposure. That's a good assumption to operate in the next couple of years with that, hey, it's not going to be there. So if you don't have the cash in your bank or in your pocket in a separate bank, then you're probably not going to have access to that traditional line of credit. So I tell people right now, in terms of going into sort of a recessionary period, that there's a couple of things they need to do. And one is they definitely want to shore up that balance sheet, but they want to preserve as much cash as possible. Now is also a good time to look at really look at all the expenses that you're incurring and say, do I really need this? Your last three months of credit card statements and all these like phantom expenses you signed up for some software program that you haven't been using here or there. Revisit that. Do I really need this? Can you defend that? Could you defend that to your CPA? Could you defend that to your spouse? And I hate to say this too, but from a business standpoint, the same thing applies to your staff. Is there anyone on your staff who's not yielding the kind of fruit that they should or the productivity based upon what you really had hired them for? Are they more of a luxury now or a need or whatnot? But now is a good time to look at that that's where recessions are good. It's a chance to us mm-hmm. to trim. And I think we're going to be in a recessionary, but I don't think it's going to, it's going to be nowhere near like 2008. So it's not like we're going to have an implosion across the board like we did then. On a general whole, recessions are bad when they happen to you, but it's not a terrible thing for the system to go through a recession every now and then because it just takes the failing part out. I think we've had so many zombie companies mm-hmm. thriving off of 0% interest rates, only established a business to pay off the debt when really they're not growing, they're not adding value to the marketplace that when cost of capital goes to five, it's going to be an interesting part for them. For me as a borrower, though, in my perspective, you have your three stools of a lending, what you look for as a lender. Can you talk us through that? Most lending institutions are going to look at three primary things outside of like character, but that's sort of reflected in the three. One would be your credit. The next is collateral. And then the third is cash flow. Different institutions look at those differently. They weigh those differently, the three legs to the stool, but there has to be something there. So generally, if you have at least one of the three, we can find money for it. So like, for instance, if you have collateral, but you have no credit or cash flow, but there's enough of an equity position in a piece of property, then we can find money to fund it. Credit, same thing. So the stronger your credit, the more the doors can open for you. And But with weak credit, there are options, but you're starting to limit yourself on the available opportunities. We lend on risk, right? Every lender in the world wants one thing, and that is they want the return of their capital. Before they want a return on that capital, they want the return of that capital. So if you have a really bad credit situation, then you don't really have a track record of having the character to pay something back. But Let's say you have bad credit, but you have collateral and you have a business that has a lot of cash flow. There are some options there because the lenders are like, okay, we can secure, protect ourselves based on the collateral, the cash flow of the business, particularly if there's a history of cash flow. If you have great cash flow, but no credit or collateral, there are options there too, particularly like in a startup company that they don't have a history of no business credit, good personal credit, but no business credit, no collateral, but they need, they've got great cash flow, but they need access to funds. There are sources there too. 
But those are the three areas to be thinking about. And they all go into the equations of who's available at any one given time to provide capital and what are those rates terms look like. And obviously, the weaker you are in each of the three, the more it's going to affect interest rates and terms. So if you're bad at all those, we might be able to find something, but it's going to be like going to your cash advance guy down the street. And of course, once you get on that treadmill, there's a group out there, there's a group of lending that I just hate in the commercial space called Merchant Cash Advances. And they're the check cashing people. And it's opportunistic. It's easy to get. It's one of these things like once you get on, you can't get off. It's it's terrible. There are so many other better options out there, which brings me to a point. I I would say that you never want to be in an emergency situation if you can avoid it. And this is why if you can have a partner, somebody like me or somebody else in the space that you can get to know, and you think you might have a need four weeks, four months, four years downstream, then we can keep an eye out. But if you say, I have to have the money tomorrow because of this or this, Uncle Guido might be able to get you the money, might break your knees too, (laughs) one way or another. Let me just play this out then. So I'm a prospective borrower. How do I establish a good relationship with someone like you? Are there documents I should be bringing to the table? Do you want to see things done in a certain way? Talk me through what's the best way to have a good relationship with someone like you. It's a little bit different based upon if you're looking to fund or grow a business or acquire a business versus real estate. The general principles are for the best scenario, the more information that I have from you, documented information, the better I can serve you. So for instance, you say, hey, Paul, I've had this business for three years. I want to acquire a business or I want to acquire a piece of real estate. I want to buy the building that I'm renting or whatnot. I'll say, great, Matt, give me your last three years of tax returns. You say, Paul, I haven't filed my taxes for the last three years. (laughs) And I hear that. Okay. We have an option for you, but it's not going to be as good as if you could provide me the three years of tax returns. So I think to have a great relationship is one of honesty and openness to say, hey, here's what I need to do. And I don't have this documentation, or maybe I can get this documentation. But the big thing really, Matt, is to be transparent and say, hey, I got a skeleton in my closet here. Something happened three years ago or five years ago where I'm having a real cash flow issue here because that may be okay. But if I don't know about it, we're going to figure that out at some point in this process. And so to save you a bunch of grief, to save me a bunch of grief, the sooner we understand this and we can talk about it, because you say, hey, maybe I came out of a bankruptcy three years ago. And I say, what was the cause? And there may be some investors are like, oh, I can't touch that. But I've got other investors that say, oh, that's not a big deal. But if they find out later downstream, they're going to be like, oh, what else is he not telling me? And that's the big thing. It's in commercial. It's all about the story. It's about being upfront. It's about putting your cards on the table. And again, we want to serve you the best we can, but if we don't know. And the other thing is be responsive, right? These loans take longer in a lot of cases than a traditional residential loan based on what you're trying to do. Some of them can be done quickly. You might be talking six weeks, eight weeks, something like that, or maybe even a little bit longer if it's really complicated. So... We need a piece of information like a personal financial statement or whatever. It's, you know, we need it. We don't let us wait for three weeks to get it because now we're going to add three weeks to the timeline. I thought you said it was going to be six, eight weeks once we get the documents that we need from you. So I think really simply put, just communication, honesty. If I'll ask for the most that I can get because I want to get present the best options that are available to you. And then if you say, I don't have this, I can't prove cash flow. I haven't been in business for two years. I don't have a lot of money to put down on this building. Traditionally, you go to the bank, you want to buy the building that you're in, they're going to want 20, 25% down. You know, that's a deal killer for a lot of people. I have investors that'll take 0% down. If your credit's good, the cash flow is good, 
Okay. So it's not a problem. But if I don't know that, then I can't help you. Yeah. I think at the very end of the day, a good best practice is to always have an updated personal financial statement and you can Google that and find what those look like. That's going to be one of the first things they ask for as well as your tax returns. So always have those handy and I keep them yeah. in a little drop box just when I talk to lenders. Boom, here you go. Yeah, there you go. That's right. You've got it. You got it easy to access. One of the best things about hosting the show and being a podcast host is getting to ask people who have different insights and get to see around the corner and take me out of my little narrow view that I have on the world. And specifically, I'm just interested in your view on 2023. So we're recording this to be fair in November of 2022. Hopefully this lands before the beginning of December, but look into your crystal ball if it's not broken and tell us where do you seeing the lending environment specifically look like? in 2023. Yeah, I'm going to rub that crystal ball. I just came back from a convention of commercial investors and lenders and so forth in Las Vegas this week too. And so we talked a lot about that. There is a little bit of trepidation. The word and what we see in 2023 is the bank, traditional banks are really going to pull back and be a lot more conservative than they've been. Again, they're responding and they have to to serve the board of directors and the regulators and they don't want to go out on a limb. So That's the first thing. We're seeing leverage numbers come back where before we get really high loan to values, low down payments, lenders are pushing back there a little bit. And in some cases there, a lot of investors are getting deals with larger prepayment penalties because investors also think that the market interest rates are going to improve over 2023. And so that's one thing that they're going to charge a premium to buy out of that prepayment penalty. In some cases it's there. We see that happening. That's not always the case, but the sense is that we're going to hit a kind of a lower glide slope. No one's expecting property appreciations to continue at the rate that they are. The office space world is still a little not really sure what's going on. Everyone's just kind of like looking at everybody else to see what's going to happen. You make the first move. Exactly. So from a crystal ball standpoint, obviously I don't have one. No one thinks that we're going to have the 08, 09, 2010 situation with major collapse of the residential world, which then caused the collapse across the board. Lending practices have been completely changed since 2010. Homeowners that are in homes today are highly qualified to be in those homes as opposed to 2010. There's a ton of equity in the system too. So there's a lot of room in the system to absorb some a reduction in value. But if we do see a reduction in value, and it's going to be based on the locality that you're in, some markets are continuing very strong. Rents are still very strong. They're moderating a little bit, but strong. So no crystal ball. It's really just a wait and see. There's still a lot of action in the market. Again, on the residential side, foreclosure numbers are still way down. 30, 60, 90 day late payments. They're at like at a normal range. They're not elevated at all. So we're really in an interesting place. So we saw the interest rates go, the 10-year treasury said go way up. Today it came down because the inflation report came out. What most people don't realize and what they don't advertise on the news, they use, it bleeds, it leads, right? So we want headlines out there to scare people. When they come out with the CPI and the core CPI, these reports are based on 12-month moving averages, right? When you look at 12 months ago, the October number of 12 months ago was a pretty high number that we're replacing this month with a little bit of lower number. So we see that the number come down the average. We knew through the summer of 2021, those inflation numbers were very low. So we were replacing very low numbers with very high numbers, which caused this massive spike, right? From October, November, all the way through, gosh, March of next year, we're going to 
displacing some very big numbers on inflation. So the guys that I follow that are really smart, much smarter than me, that have a pretty good crystal ball have called this one pretty right. And they all expect those numbers to start coming down. And at some point, the Fed is going, and that affects long-term interest rates, right? At some point, the Fed is going to stop their aggressive rate hiking because they don't want to slow the economy too much. So we're really in an interesting place. I think personally, there's going to be tremendous opportunity in 2023 because I think we've already turned the corner, but it's going to take a little while for people to catch up in their head and expectations and all that. Who's it said that when others are fearful, be greedy, and when others are greedy, be fearful? I think it was Warren Buffett. That's when big money's made. I think now's a great opportunity actually to be looking for opportunities. I am seeing this. I'm seeing older people, like older business owners in the silver wave are deciding to sell their business. And we've got some acquisitions going on right now because they're like, ah, I've been through recessions. I've done it. I made a bunch of money. I think I'm good. I want to punch out, take my bag and run. And so the younger people that are looking for opportunity have great opportunities to buy these businesses and the real estate that's with it and that sort of thing right now, which I think is great. I tend to agree with a lot of things you said there, but one in specific is when you're looking at inflation, remember that it's 12-month rolling average. So when you're looking at a 7.6 print today, I think it was, or 7.9, you're looking at that compared to October of last year. So what I'm trying to say in this is by the summer of next year, when we were printing nine points of inflation numbers, you should see those come down dramatically unless one of two things happen a complete supply constraint again in the market, like a 2020 situation, or this war in Ukraine escalates and all of a sudden gas and energy prices have another huge spike like they did at the beginning of the war. But beyond that, I feel like we're on the back end of this inflation. Obviously, we're just two guys on the internet. We have no (laughs) idea what's going on. If we're wrong, fortunately, it would be up there forever. And if we're right, fortunately, it would be up there forever. But I feel like we're on the back half of that. And you'll see the Fed, I think, hike one more major 0.75 percent hike. And then after that, I think they'll stall for a minute to see how the capital is being absorbed in the system. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they're going to do that. And I agree. We're two guys on the internet, but we'll find out over time what's going to happen. But here's the thing. The end of the day, so nobody's getting any younger, right? Tomorrow we'll wake up a little bit older and time passes. And so I learned a long time ago, you can't really time markets, whether that's real estate, business, investing or whatever. If you're in the game for a short run, then I can't give you any advice. No, right? exactly. I've never done... I didn't gamble when I was in Vegas because I know better. <laughs> I've had experience yep. there. It's investing for the long-term versus gambling. But you're going to work for 40 or 50 years. You might as well have a longer-term perspective on decisions that you're making today. And you might be wrong today. We might be wrong. It might be 2024 when things turn around. But if you get in the game in 2023... You'll be okay in 25 and 26 and 27. And look at what happened in 08 and how many people got out of the market there, sold their house, walked away from the house, whatever. My brother picked up 17 investment properties in that interim. And most of them or half of them are paid for now. And he's got this cash flow coming in out the wazoo on deals he was able to pick up. It was just amazing. You got to get in the game. Yeah. And if you're in it for the short term, I have nothing else to say than point to the crypto market and what's going on there right now. So I want to switch us now to our last round. We're calling this the five toppings. Our first one is, what is your favorite book or what is a book you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? My favorite book is the Bible. It gives me a lot of guidance every day. But recently, the one that I think is from a business standpoint and a perspective is Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. Just a phenomenal book. It really talks about Any problem you have can be solved with the right person. And if you surround yourself with the right people, instead of trying to figure everything out, find somebody that can figure it out for you or has already figured it out. It makes your life so much easier. Yep. Agreed. 
Our second one is what is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have. What Mm -hmm. are some of the habits that you have every day? Yeah, probably my two biggest habits that I've been really very consistent on. One, I start every day with daily quiet time and meditation just to get my head right and just to set the stage for the day. And it's really helped me to stay centered. The other is exercise. I exercise probably at the gym or running five days a week. And that has helped me clear my head as well of the stress And amazingly, I get some of my best ideas like after a long run or, and I hated to run. I just forced myself to do it, but now it's a habit. I can't get out of it and I feel so much better. Yeah. I'm an endurance cyclist and runner. So I completely agree with that. It's put me on a two hour (laughs) run and the amazing thoughts that come through my head. It is crazy, right? It is absolutely crazy. It's wow, man, I should do more of this. (laughs) And then I forget all of them before I get home. So yeah, exactly. Our third one is what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Best piece of advice. Okay. Most people try to fit their life into their business or their work. And the best piece of advice I was ever given is, hey, design your life first and fit your business into it. Yeah. I think we were chatting beforehand that you try not to take meetings on Friday just to give you that space. (laughs) And I'm not there yet, but I am on my path to making my business fit into my life here. Our fourth one is, what is the thing that you're most proud of in your life? I would say my daughter. I feel like that a proud papa, I've just seen her grow up and I feel like we've had a hand, a little hand in it. She's doing some really cool things now. We've invested a lot of money and time, a lot of quality time into her over the years. And at the end of the day, I feel like I've got a legacy there. So when I pass on that, she can hopefully continue to carry it. And yeah, it's pretty awesome. Our fifth one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, that's hard. Wow. There's so many people. So I'm going to go with a great communicator, Ronald Reagan. This was a guy that was just amazing. He reinvented himself a few times in his life. He was super successful and not without a lot of degrees or anything, but he was able to coalesce people together as a group and everyone loved him. And he was very effective at what he did. And he could tell people you're an idiot and smile and they'd feel good about it. And they would end up working together. And so he's one of my heroes. I never did get a chance to meet him, but I would if I could. Kind of shocked as I'm recording my 120 some odd episode here that he's never been mentioned actually yet. Really? Surprising. Yeah. We've had a couple of presidents mentioned, but he's the first one. Okay. Uh, there you go. Time. Paul, fantastic conversation. If our listeners wanted to reach out to you and learn more about you and the best way that you can help them fund their business, where's the best place we can point them? Thanks, man. I'm going to stand up a specific page just for your listeners to go. I created a resource that they can just download. Doesn't cost them anything. The key questions that you must ask and answer before you seek funding. So it's a good framework that they can work through on their own and we can work through together on specific questions they have. But that's going to be living on our website. And that website is VPC, Victor Paul Charlie dot capital. That's vpc.capital. There's no.com slash podcast dash ice cream. Perfect. Paul, thanks for coming on the show. Matt, it's been great. I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today and all your listeners, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.